Good afternoon, brethren. I hope everyone's having a marvelous Sabbath. In the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, we are introduced to the weapons of our warfare, or the whole armor of God. We read about the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. We're very familiar with them so we're not going to discuss them. But I would like you to turn over to Ephesians 6 anyways. Ephesians 6. What I would like to introduce you today to is the plumbata. The plumbata. Now, it sounds like some type of a fruit or a flower or some kind of a Latin couple's dance, but it's not. Unless you are a specialist in ancient Roman warfare, you're probably not real familiar with what a plumbata is. Now, the plumbata was a Roman war dart. A Roman war dart. It was about 12 inches in length. It was used in war from the time of the Greeks up to a point of about 500 years after the birth of Christ with continual modifications. The plumbata had a wooden shaft and a barbed arrow head of blackened steel that bent upon impact so that very few, if any, could be thrown back at them. What made it unique, though, was that it had a lead weight about the size of a small lemon behind the tip. Roman soldiers would keep up to five darts in their shield in a brace. So behind, when they're holding the shield, it would be right there. And they'd be ready to hurl these in mass to an oncoming foe. Now, they could be thrown overhand for short distances, but for longer distances, up to 80 yards, they'd be thrown underhand. Very high, high into the air, because the lead weight would make it fall on opponents at almost a 90-degree angle, straight down on them. Now, what was unusual was that, unlike other Roman weapons of war, the intent of the plumbata was not specifically to kill, but to distract, to cause confusion, to injure, and generally take soldiers out of the action by striking them in the unprotected parts of the body. If you're in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verse 16, says, Above all, we're breaking into a thought here, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, the word literally means handheld missile. Quite often people interpret it and say, Oh, it was a, it was a burning arrow. Well, yeah, it could have been, but often it was probably the plumbata, these little darts that were so effectively used. Now, if you're part of Generation X, like I am, you may remember jarts or lawn darts, one of those really interesting toys of the 1960s and 70s, where weighted darts were lobbed to a target at some distance in the yard. It's ironic that a Roman war instrument was actually used as a toy, and we did this. 
Now, what was the, the point of the... It was to get within a small circular area and you got points. Or as one expert said, the goal of the game was toss the darts, treat the wounded, tally the points, repeat until only one child remains. <laughs> Quite often that ended up being the case. But for a generation that was used to riding in the back of pickup trucks, drinking from hoses, and playing on metal playgrounds, we got used to that. Now, the only time it became unusual is some of the probably two or three times I was there with a group of young boys, all 10, 11, 12, and one boy would inevitably grab up four, five, six of these darts, throw them up in the air, and yell, grenade attack, as everyone scattered, trying not to get hit by these. That was quite common. But that was, I think, how parents kind of thinned the herd out for Gen Generation X there for quite a while. Well, let's examine one of those darts. Not one of the darts, but the plumbata that Satan tosses at us. And let's see how, through the use of the Holy Spirit, which we are remembering as being shared by God on Pentecost, that we can fend off this dart that's been thrown at virtually every notable figure in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You can go the entire way through and say, oh, they got hit by that dart. They got attempted to get hit by the dart go right from the very beginning. And this one sin has led to murder, led to slander, to theft, to rape, adultery, and more. It's highly dangerous, destroying countless relationships. It resulted in Satan being thrown out of heaven, as well as the very first murder ever recorded. Sarah and Hagar felt the pain from this fiery dart. Ishmael and Isaac Esau and Jacob, Jacob and Laban, Leah and Rachel, Joseph and his brothers, Aaron and Miriam were hit by it when they complained that Moses took too much to yourself. Korah and Moses, King Saul and David, Absalom, Naboth and Jezebel plays a prominent role in Daniel and the advisors of the king of Persia as well as the stories of Esther, Haman, and Mordecai, the Pharisees in Christ. Jesus Christ was actually put to death because of this. The apostles themselves were not immune. It's the dart that hit James and John. Simon the sorcerer, Alexander and the coppersmiths, and Paul, Diotrephes and John. Even the, at the very end of the book of Revelation, we see it with the beast power. And then we also see it with Gog and Magog as they come up against the camp of the saints throughout the entire Bible. So what plumbata or dart am I speaking of? Well, you're probably way ahead of me, but it's called the sin we like to ignore. The sin we like to ignore. And it's minimized because everyone does it. What we'll look today at is the sin that is considered to be a master of disguise. The green-eyed monster, jealousy and envy. And I know as soon as you say it, or I say it, we all kind of cringe and go, I'd rather it be a different topic. Can we talk about something else? Because we've all been through this. We've all had this. But it's good for us to review it. Book of Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. And we're going to start verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. Fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, 
jealousies. It doesn't seem like jealousy should be as bad as adultery, fornication, idolatry, sorcery. Come on, is it that bad? Let's continue on. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jealousy and envy. Really? It's right there with murders? Drunkenness? Uh, I need to know more about this. Let's take a look. Now, we see envy and jealousy all around us. That is a part of life. If you go up and down the street to any church, they'll talk about envy and jealousy, too. It's not unheard of. There are national and there are international jealousies and envy that fill the newspapers and the newscasts where we get news. Because issues that affect individuals are the same issues that impact nations. They're the same issues because they're character issues on a bigger scope, bigger scale. If you read the Wall Street Journal yesterday, there was an article, the very beginning of it said, the two Koreas are elevating a space race aimed at modernizing how each country monitors the other's improving military power. Envy, jealousy as these two countries battle against each other, trying to find out, oh, if you're going to get that, then we need to do this. Oh, if you're going to do that, we need to do this. Envy and jealousy. In the Ukraine, I mean, if I mention the Ukraine, that's not surprising with what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, but even within that conflict, just on one side, the Russian side, you have envy and jealousy. As the, the leader of the Russian paramilitary group, Wagner Group, his name is Viktor Viktorovich Prigozhin, declared that 20,000 Russian troops died to take a city that wasn't even considered strategic. And who did he blame? Someone else. He blames the, the defense minister because he's trying to make sure he gets the, the credit for it himself and he blames someone else. It's all about jealousy and envy. And one thing you'll find without, throughout history, leaders, leaders that are not godly, try and encourage envy and jealousy amongst their lieutenants. And that's what you see in this case. There's another article entitled, How Peaceful Sweden Became the Gun Murder Capital of Europe all about the criminal elements in that Scandinavian nation that are guarding their illicit businesses and trying to steal from others. Multiple articles about Europe jealously eyeing China's economic gains while still trying to get some business out of China. Disputes over who will have the power after presidential elections in Turkey. There was an article entitled Envy in Papua, Papua New Guinea as China, Chinese money pours in about who is getting rich in that nation. One of the poorest nations on earth, but there's a tremendous amount of envy there. Iran, as it envies regional power, gets ever closer to a nuclear weapon. And we have protest movements here in the United States based on jealousy and envy. And as we gear up towards another national election, if we get it down to its most basic elements, it's based less and less and less on good governance and more and more on jealousy and envy of power. We see it everywhere, but let's try and understand it a little bit better. Now, jealousy and envy are related words. They're basically like two sides of the same coin. They're often used interchangeably, but they're slightly different. Subtle differences. 
Jealousy, on one hand, is based on the fear of loss, the fear of loss, whereas envy is based more on resentment and pain at seeing what someone else has. We are jealous of what is our own, but we're envious of another man's possessions. Okay? Both jealousy and envy are often used to indicate that a person is covetous of something that someone else has. So the big picture, once again, back, gets back down to that t- Tenth Commandment, not coveting. Protectiveness and jealousy is regarding its own advantage or attachments. Both these words have to do with an out-of-balance desire for three things in particular. Position, possessions, or praise. I'll say it again. Position, possessions, or praise. And jealousy is often rooted in rivalry and selfishness and envy and resentment and discontent. You can see how they're very similar. Now let's address jealousy first. A simple definition of jealousy comes from the Cambridge Dictionary. It says, a feeling of unhappiness and anger because someone has something or someone that you want. Now in scripture, this comes from the word zealous, which literally means, well, it's the same word that we get the word zeal from. It means hot enough to boil. It can be a positive, it can be a negative. But in this case, it's taken as a negative. It's a very self-centered aspect. Turn over to 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18, as we take a look a little bit more at jealousy. 1 Samuel 18, here we have the story of Saul and David, and we're going to be breaking into a thought here because we've already been through the situation here where Saul knows that the kingdom is going to be taken from him. But here, after a great victory, we'll start in verse 6. For Samuel 18, verse 6, it says, Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, obviously, that wasn't the case. He, he had a big win, but he, didn't, he hadn't slain ten thousand. But how did Saul react to that? Instead of going, yeah, he had a big win. We're all happy. It's good for Israel. Verse 8 says, Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And he's probably thinking back to what he had been told, that the kingdom was going to be taken from him. He hadn't been told exactly who it was going to be taking. This may have been his first idea because verse 9, it says, So Saul eyed David from that day forward. He eyed David. Can I see him kind of giving the side eye like, hmm, all right, you're the one. hmm?" And what's interesting is the very next verse, it says, And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul didn't take too long after he had let that bad attitude in that suddenly we had a distressing spirit from God, came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand and, and other, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand, 
And Saul cast the spear before he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. You can see how jealousy very nearly became murder. Not for the first time in history, but not surprising the less. That's what jealousy will have and what will bring. Now, as far as envy, let's look at envy. Envy is defined by Merriam-Webster as the painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another, joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. Now, it comes from the word pathonos, or ill will, and it con conveys the miserable trait of being glad when someone experiences misfortune or pain or the displeasure at another's good without longing to raise oneself to the level of him whom he envies, but only to depress the envy to his own level. You're tearing down. Come down here. I don't want good things to happen to you. It's not that I'm trying to work with God and praying to God and ask for blessings. Just don't bless them. Take them down. It's the same word that's used in Matthew 27, 18 and Mark 15, 10 to explain that it was because of envy that Jesus was handed over to Pilate before the crucifixion. The chief priests and the elders were resentful of Jesus' ministry and sought to diminish his influence. It's often said if you can't, that envy is when you count others' blessings instead of your own. That's probably true. With envy, let's look over to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. Genesis 37. Now we're going to be breaking into the story of Joseph. Very familiar to everyone here. And before we get there, just a little sidebar. Joseph in here doesn't seem particularly aware of how he had added to his brother's envy. Okay? The question for us would be, are we aware of how what we do, what we say, our actions, are we aware of how they might add to someone else's envy? Social media, especially Facebook and Instagram, can have a big role in this. It's a big reason for the increase in envy, according to many experts. Um, and I guarantee if we're on it long enough, it will affect all of us. We've all seen it before. We see people taking trips, doing this, doing that. You start to think, well, maybe my life isn't quite as great as it seems. That's a tendency. The question is, what are we going to do? Are we trying to help other people out? I know there was a time when I was giving messages, and for interest of what I was speaking on, several of them had to do with trips that I had taken or travel. And someone mentioned that, and they said, you know, all your, all, your, all your sermons always revolve around travel. It's very cool. We just haven't had the chance to do that. And I was like, you know what? Uh, you know, maybe I can tone that down a little bit because there's no reason to try and, you know, bring out any kind of envy or jealousy. That just doesn't make sense. So I've tried to avoid that. Um, it's just something we need to be careful of. And maybe Joseph wasn't quite aware of it as he should have been. Now, let's breaking into, into uh, Genesis 37, and we can see the beginning of the chapter, Joseph had had a dream, and the dream here obviously involved uh, his brothers bowing down to him, and even his father and his mother, and it, it brought out, and he, he went over and told everyone about it too, probably it may not have been the, the greatest show of wisdom in doing that, 
Uh, here was a young man, probably around 17, brothers in their 30s, younger, older, I mean, older than him. He was you know, much more mature, but he, God was going to be working with Joseph, and he was going to work with him in, a, in a many ways. But in verse 11, it says, and his brothers envied him. Now, that's not uncommon for brothers, but it's stressed here. But his father kept the matter in mind, talking about the dream. Now, this thought is echoed in Acts 7, verse 9, where it says, And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God's was with him. So God could even use other people's envy. But in this case, this is what happened here. Verse 12, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are, your, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. That's kind of interesting. That's, it's about a 50-mile walk. Uh, you actually ask a teenager to do wash a dish or something else, it's a little bit more challenging if I actually ask someone to say, go, go uh, take a walk for 50 miles down the road and go find out how your brothers do. It might be a little more difficult. I, I would have had a challenge with that as a young person as well. Verse 15, now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in a field, and the man asked him, saying, where, what are you seeking? So he said, well, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, they've departed from here, for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. He didn't just go, as he was told initially, and just go to this one area, and he didn't just go back to his dad and say, yep, not there. He went a little further. In fact, apparently it's about another 18 miles he had to walk to go to find his brothers, and he did. Now, verse 18, here we see this. Verse 18, now when they saw him afar off, now he was probably wearing that nice coat, they spotted him, and immediately the thoughts happened. It says, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. So this was not a heat of the moment thing. It wasn't just a thought that they put out of their mind. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer's coming. Come on, the dreamer. Let's, let's do something. Verse 20, come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beasts have devoured him. We shall see what it will become of his dreams. Once again, envy becomes Murder, that was the plan. And if we continue on in the story, you'd see Reuben. Reuben says, hey, let, you know, let's not do this. Let's, you know, let's do something else. And, there's, and the brothers get together, and they're going to sell him. And then Reuben has this kind of idea. And what was Reuben's plan? Oh, I'll go back and get him. Was it just for, out of you know, just being a, a good older brother, a good firstborn brother? No. Reuben was already out of favor with his father. So, once again, envious, jealous of the blessings, or the, we could say the position, the praise, and the possessions that Joseph was receiving from his father, Reuben was jealous again. I'll go get him. I'll bring him back to my father. This will get me good, back in good stead. So it wasn't, you know, uh, just good thoughts that were going to get him there. So once again, envy can lead to murder. Now, in our lives, we may envy someone for their looks, their job, their family, their vacation, their skills, their money. It can be limitless. According to studies, men are more envious. 
in certain areas. The areas of financial or job success. Studies show that women may be more envious in areas of physical beauty, stature. Envy is one of the top reasons why people slander each other, tear down each other, for no other good reason. And after hearing the good news of others, some people search for something, something negative, anything negative to say about them because of the envy. It's so common that we tend to overlook it. We minimize its sinfulness and we allow it to fester. We don't like to put jealousy to death. Instead, we feed it, we tend it, and we give it life. So where does jealousy and envy begin? Can you recall the first time you were ever jealous or envious? I can, actually, or as far as I know. It goes back to when I was about six years old. We were having a birthday party. Now, because we didn't do a whole lot with birthday parties in there, instead of having the birthday party in December when I'm bored, we decided to have it in the late spring. That was just the way things were done back then. So we did that. My parents had a bunch of kids over there, 25, 30 kids. Not the same as birthday parties today. There was no electronics. There was not a full zoo there. There wasn't a party truck and everything else. We were playing pin the tail on the donkey. Games my kids would go, are you kidding me? That's not fun at all. But we had fun. There was a lot of, um, you know, the women there, there were a lot of yellow polyester jumpsuits going, some bell bottoms. It, uh, it was interesting. But what was important is we were playing games and my parents had gone and got a bunch of like dollar store toys. In fact, they weren't, um, they weren't even like the good dollar store toys. They were like the, the, the stores, the dollar store goes, yeah, those aren't really selling. Go, go ahead and put them on the sale rack over there, which I don't even know how you can get cheaper than that, but that's what it was. And I had seen what they were and they Mom and Dad, after these games, much of which were like homemade games, I don't think most people even heard these games before, they said, you know, the winner of each game, you could go over and pick out out of this bucket one of the toys. Well, I had spotted which toy I wanted early on. It was a green, little green parachute man. It was plastic and about an inch and a half tall. And when it opened up, it flew into a little parachute and it kind of floated down. That's the toy. There was nothing moving, nothing action. It wasn't crazy. But man, my heart was set on it. I was going to enjoy that. I had big plans for this. We had a duplex. We had a stairs in the back of the place. I was going to go up to the top of the stairs, throw it off, and watch it come down. In fact, I even had the next set. I was going to throw it up and then run down and then shoot at it with my water pistol. I had big plans for this. And I made the mistake. I told one of my other buddies there, I said, I'm going for the green parachute guy. In fact, you know how low rent it was? There wasn't even another name for this toy. It's just Green Parachute Man. That's all how bad it was. But I was like, all right, I'm going to get that. Well, one of the first games, I think it was pin the tail on the donkey. You got a you know, blindfold. You got to put this tail on the donkey on a kind of a garage store. It was um, this kid won. Well, he went over there. And then you would have to pick the toy out. But you have to be blindfolded when you pick the toy out. Well, I'm still convinced he was kind of cheating, but nonetheless, he went and he picked out and he got the green parachute man out. And he kind of lifted it and it lifted his eyes, what was covering his eyes, and he kind of looked at me like this grin. I was like, oh, I can't stand it. He did that. He got the green parachute man. Very mad. Well, I won the next game. 
I was like, man, you know, there's, there's silly dough. I might go for the silly dough. I, I, there's silly string. I could go silly string. That might be a good backup, but let me see what I get. And I pulled something out, and it was old made cards. <laughs> old made cards, really? I wanted the green parachute, man. I didn't want the old, old made cards. I was so mad. And I remember I threw it down on the ground. I was like, ugh, it's terrible. And this cute little girl, I remember she had little black Mary Jane shoes and walked up. She said, can I have that? I wanted the old maid cards. And I was like, no, those are mine. Those are mine. No, 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 no. So I ended up being both very envious of the young man who got the green parachute man, as well as very protective of something I didn't even really want. Now, that I can tell you that the rest of the day didn't go a whole lot better. There was some kind of game my parents had where we went over like one of those little wading pools, and I kind of may have edged the guy who won the great parachute man into the water and then may have mentioned that, oh, by the way, I don't think parachute man works in water. Why don't you trade me for the old maid cards, which didn't work. But nonetheless, that's the first time I remember being envious and jealous. Now, it probably was many times before. I've been more than a few times since then. But that's something I remember. But we have, you know, to always remember that. Just like that green parachute man, the things that we envy and we're jealous of now kind of look stupid when we look at them later. Like, really? Why was I envious of that? Why? Well, I'm sure at some point in the future, and when we're God beings, part of that family, the God family, we're going to look back and go, oh, are you kidding? We were jealous of that? Really? Why were we envious of that person? Seriously, that doesn't even make sense. That's going to be very obvious. Now, sometimes um, it can be important for sometimes just to, to remember the, how silly they can be. And sometimes it can be a good, good habit to, to even write out some of the things that we may be jealous of or envies. I know my wife and I have done that and kind of taken a look and listed out some of the things we've been jealous or envious of. And oh, well, this is Denise's list. Here, hold on a second. Oh, here's my list. Hold on. Now, I, I, I got my wife's permission to do that because she would kill me. I, I may be envious and jealous, but I'm not stupid. So, <laughs> According to Forbes magazine article, in 2005, 2009, 2013, researchers interviewed 18,000 Australian adults. And using on a scale that went from one, doesn't describe me at all, to seven, perfectly describes me, they were asked how envious they were. Almost 54% of respondents awarded themselves the lowest scores for envy, usually a one or occasionally a two, just not envious at all. 72% of themselves rated themselves with a three or less. They didn't admit to it. I don't think Australians are particularly unusual that way. It is clear from our everyday experiences that envy is one of the most widespread emotions. And despite this, most people claim that envy is something that is experienced by other people of them rather than what we do of others. When we read the story of Joseph, more often than not, we tend to see the story through the eyes of Joseph. Can you believe this? These guys are so envious of me. They're going to throw me into the pit. They're going to sell me. They're going to put me in slavery. They're going to do do we ever think of it from the perspective of the brothers and what's going through? They were just jealous. 
What about Reuben? Do we ever see it from that perspective? Probably not, because we don't want to think of ourselves being that same way. More than any other emotion, people deny that they're envious of successful people, and psychologists have tried to explain why. In his book, Egalitarian Envy, uh, Gonzalo Fernandez de la Mora noted that envy is a widely denied emotion. He says, one may admit to pride, avarice, lust, anger, gluttony, and laziness, and one may even boast of them, but there is only one capital sin that no one admits to, envy. This is the dark, hidden, eternally masked sin. One tries to hide it from others with multiple disguises. Its symbol ought to be a mask. Its symbol ought to be a mask. And we know that envy and jealousy lead to almost every other sin. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride are seen as the seven deadly sins. Now, Warren Buffett described envy as the dumbest and most futile of them all. One of the wealthiest men on earth, Warren Buffett. He says, as an investor, you get something out of all of the deadly sins except for envy. Being envious of someone else is pretty stupid, he says. Wishing them badly or wishing you did as well as they did, all it does is ruin your day. It doesn't hurt them at all, and there's zero upside to it. If you're going to pick a sin, go with something like lust or gluttony. That way, at least you'll have something to remember the weekend for. Different perspective. And at the heart of the issue, or heart of the problem, is exactly that. It's a problem of the heart. Envy and jealousy are heart problems. It's also a form of worship. It says basically, I desire that. I want that. I love that. I want to live that. I'll do anything I need to get that. And that's called worship. And anything that's not worshiping God is idolatry. And basically, once again, we get back to covering in that 10th commandment. Now, the Apostle Paul often discussed envy and jealousy and, his, and its effect on individuals as well as entire congregations. Romans 13, 13, Romans 13, verse 13, says, Let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry and, and in drunkenness, not in lewdness and in lust, not in strife and envy. So he equates strife and envy. When you have envy, you will have strife. Because what's going to happen? If there's envy, then people are going to be kind of backbiting, saying something negative, trying to tear down that person a little bit. Verse 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not envy. This verse also shows what love, or I should say what jealousy is not. Resentful feelings which can lead to rejoicing and wrongdoing against others when bad things happen to them. They're just plain and simple, not Christ-like. You just can't have love if there's envy. So if we're trying to be following Christ's example of love, we're going to be putting out envy. And Paul here addresses some of the issues that were springing up from the church at Corinth because he had had these things. 
And he tried to teach them the differences between the actions that were needed and what they were currently going through because Corinth was a wealthy church and they separated themselves, the wealthy from the poor. And they indulged each other or indulged themselves in those actions and that divided each other, that bred jealousy, that bred envy. James 3, verses 14 through 16. James 3, verse 14 through 16. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, once again, it's a heart issue, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, it's sensual, demonic. Wow, bitter envy, it's demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Not what a pastor would want to be able to say of or think of a congregation. But jealousy breeds bad feelings and unhealthy group dynamics. Just because one feels entitled to something that someone else possesses. It leads to acting out. It can lead to lies and any, any other number of problems. What's interesting about this is, is James is writing it. It would have been very easy. We always talk about, you know, jealousy or envy of sometimes brothers. Well, he, he's talking about his older brother. He recognized Jesus Christ, not as a man or as an annoying sibling, but as the son of God. Now, is it really that bad? We've kind of mentioned that it's pretty bad. But how dangerous is this attitude of jealousy and envy? No need to turn there, but Job 5 verse 2 says, For wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. Envy slays. Wow. Envy slays. I, I try and tell my kids and everyone in the family, hey, you can't do this. This is dangerous. Don't go out too late at night. Don't be angry. Because there's the potential for pain, suffering, hurt, death. But here it says, envy slays. Inspired words of God. And these words come from Eliphaz, the friend of Job, who came to try and comfort him. Now, the Job, though Job's friends weren't always giving him the best advice, and they misunderstood God's kind of purpose with Job in his life, but here they did state, he did state a truth here. And he points out that being jealous only makes life harder, makes life bitter, makes life very destructive. Proverbs 27 verse 4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? On this scripture, I actually like the New Living Translation. This puts it this way, anger is cruel, and wrath is like a flood, but jealousy is even more dangerous. Now, we, we see the news and see the destruction that a flood can do, taking people out of their homes, people dying. It is unbelievable, the, the, the path of destruction from a flood. But here it says, jealousy is more dangerous. Wow, that really put, makes it a little more serious. So that being said, it's serious. We do it. It's part of a kind of a, uh, what we would say is hardwired into humanity. In fact, not even just humanity. There's been studies sh- with chimpanzees and apes showing that they can be very envious of each other. So that being said, how do we put envy and jealousy to death? How do we put envy and jealousy to death? A couple ideas here. First of all, remember the health outcomes of jealousy and envy. 
Remember the health outcomes of jealousy and envy. Proverbs 14, verse 30 says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. That kind of highlights the long-term effects of what envy does. It becomes obsessive. It's compulsive. It consumes an individual. It, it, the best way would be it, it drains them emotionally, physically, spiritually. It's almost, it's rottenness to the bones. It would be like bone cancer, extremely painful to the point you can't even walk. Okay? Well, spiritually, with envy, you can't continue that spiritual walk. Okay? So remember the health outcomes of jealousy and envy. Next, remember that our lives are temporary and merely a training ground for a far greater reward in the future. Remember that our lives are temporary and merely a training ground for a far greater future and reward. Proverbs 27, verse 13 and 14. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Once again, zealous be hot, but in a positive way. Verse 18, for surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. Once it says, don't envy, because you have a future. You have a future. And there's going to be a time, whether it's a thousand years, 10,000 years, a million years in the future, that we're going to look back and say, you know what, that meant nothing. It seemed all important at that time. It seemed like that little green parachute man, but it was nothing. Then remember that Satan uses jealousy and envy just like a plumbata, that Roman war dart, to distract, to take us out of our Christian fight and to separate us in our relationship with God. You cannot follow God's purpose and focus on other people at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. You get a divided allegiance, okay? And then you don't get anything done in your life. Just like David became distracted from his relationship with God through envy, envy of, of another man's wife. We can also get distracted by jealousy and envy. Proverbs 4, go back there again, verse 25 through 27, says, Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Focus on what's important. God's way. Don't get distracted. We have to avoid those things that are on the side, jealousies. You know, this, I shouldn't have that taken away. Protect this person or that person. They're doing too well. I wish. Now, focus on our walk and our path with Jesus Christ. That's what's important. And lastly, remember to be thankful for the things, the good things in our life. Remember to be thankful for the good things in life. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to envy and jealousy. So let's make sure we're focusing on the good things. If The more we give thanks to God for the many blessings that we have, it's an antidote to jealousy. Focus on that. Pray for those people that you may be envious of or jealous of. That, that will help as well. So at the beginning of the message, I talked about the plumbata, or the Roman war dart, and how effective it was as a weapon of war. The most effective way to counter the plumbata was, and is, 
a good shield. There's an account from antiquity of one soldier at the end of a battle having more than 200 darts in his shield. 200 opportunities for him to become injured or die. But that shield protected him. And we have that shield as well that God allows us and protects us. And we can call also on God's Holy Spirit to protect us and give us more and guidance. So Satan is going to continue to fire those darts at us. Darts like the attitudes of jealousy and envy. It's our job to use the armor of God to fend off those darts and stay in the good Christian fight.